happy to have you here and trust that you will be back to worship with us again on many, many future occasions. Always good to have visitors with us, and we're honored that you would uh, choose us as the place you come to worship today. Uh, let's see, a bunch of announcements are in your bulletin. I hope you will read every one, um, but a few that, that are not in your bulletin I need to lift up. Uh, one is that the prayer group that normally meets on Tuesdays will be, be meeting on Thursday this coming week. Tickets for the United Methodist Women's Luncheon will be available in the Narthex after the worship service today. Barbecue from the men's club is available also uh, by the pound if you'd like to go out to the Family Life Center. Someone will be there after this worship service um, selling that for, I believe it's $10 a pound for that barbecue. Children will be going out today, beginning of the second hymn, to join uh, Beverly going to the library, right? Okay, we're going to work Beverly pretty hard this morning, I understand. Um, we have a funeral here at the church on Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock. Fern Elrod passed away, and her uh, service will be Tuesday here at 11 a.m. We also have a, a new baby born yesterday, too late to get a flower and, and in, in the bulletin, but uh, uh, Tom Cat and Ms. Cat are grandparents now. Uh, uh, Megan had her little girl yesterday. Um, I believe the name is Mason Lucia. Um, going to carry on that Italian heritage there. Mom and baby are doing fine and probably coming what? Greek. Greek. Oh, pardon me. <clears throat> hey, it's all Greek to me. What do I know? <clears throat> That's right. It is Greek. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to call her Lucy May. That's what will take care of that. So anyway, that's uh, excitement about uh, happening in the church family. Thanks for keeping me honest over there. Uh, other announcements that I hope you will, will read as you have an opportunity. A lot going on in the life of the church. Children's ministries continue today, as does the youth ministry and Bible study for adults this, this evening. So I um, hope that you will be here uh, for those. Let us now worship God.
Our affirmation of faith is on page 881, the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. <clears throat> this morning we're privileged to share in a time of holy baptism uh, for Anna Ruth Dumas, the daughter of Lee and Marnie Dumas, and the granddaughter of Mike and Ellen Henson, and great-granddaughter of Ann Dobson of our membership, and lots of other kinfolk here with them today as well. And so um, I, knowing that this baby arrived here half-grown, I have plenty of water down there today, Lee. I invite the family, the parents, and any others that would like to come stand with us to join us now as we celebrate the sacrament. I want to invite you, too, to turn to page 44 in your hymnal for your response. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Beloved, do you in presenting this child for holy baptism confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If so, will you say we do? Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child, this child a life that becomes the gospel to exercise all godly care, that she be brought up in the Christian faith, that she be taught the Holy Scriptures, and that she learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say, we do? We do. Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until she, by the power of God, shall accept for herself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's Holy Church? If so, you say, we will.
We will be taking another offering today for medicine for my back after lifting this heavy <laughs> Bless her. At this time, we call on our United Methodist Women leadership to come and, and make a presentation. It was going to be Marjorie, Mitchell, and Harriet, but I understand that Marjorie's sick. And so it'll be uh, Beverly and Harriet. Are y'all coming? I'll get over out of the way. Ever since 1995, I've been involved in this, and I asked Margie for a year off. I said, I don't want to know who gets the pins this year. I want to be as surprised as everybody else. But as of 8.30 last night, I know. <laughs> so I want to share with you what Marjorie had planned to say. On behalf of the Memorial United Methodist Women, Harriet and I shall present two members of our church family with special mission recognition pins in just a few minutes. For those members who may be new to this church family, I'd like to say that giving a special mission recognition pin is one of the requirements of our unit and, and we must meet in order to be recognized as a five-star unit. And if you ever look in the UMW room, there are certificates all on the wall. We've been a five-star unit for a long time. At circle meetings, each member is given the opportunity to nominate three people who she thinks who should be recognized. It's hard to think about our church family and choose three people because we all know that in God's sight, everyone is special. After each member turns in their nominees, a ballot is composed and the members, often vote, and the members then vote for the recipients. At this time, I would like for everyone in the congregation who has received a pin from either UMW or an individual to please stand. Thank you. These pins that we shall present today are for the year 2010. Due to some things that we could not help last year, the pins did not re arrive in time to present them last year. However, this month we're starting the process, so we hope to have it done complete by the end of 2011 for this year. Our first pin will be presented to a lady who has been active in our church and in UMW for a number of years. Among the offices she has served in the local unit are president, treasurer, secretary of program resources. She served on the Greenville District UMW as treasurer, Vice President, and Committee on Nominations, which adds up to a total of 14 years. At our church, she's also been a member of the Administrative Board, a church trustee, president of her Sunday school class, and she's a longtime member of the Lydia Circle. She grew up in Gaffney, played the flute in the Gaffney High School Band, and unknowingly met her future husband at a Christmas parade where the Gaffney and Greer bands were both playing. She attended Brevard College. In 1946, she married Mac and came to Greer. She has one daughter and son-in-law, two grandsons, four great-grandchildren, and she also has identical twin great-granddaughters on the way this June. 
She, uh, and she has a cat named Cisco, who is very important in her life. She is, was the manager and owner of Cooper Furniture Company and Antiques on Trade. At this time, I'm happy to ask Catherine Bates-Jones to come forward to receive this special mission recognition pin. Our next recipient is a real product of Greer. He was born right here in our town, and he has always been connected to Memorial United Methodist Church. Having been christened here, he continued in Sunday school, and as a teenager, was a part of MYF, the Methodist Youth Fellowship. Then came college, but he returned to Greer and Memorial Church in 1979 after serving as an officer in the Navy. Because of his love for Memorial Church, he was able to convert his wife from her nearby Baptist Church. He discovered a love for outreach by participating in building projects in our Greer communities. He was active in the Appalachian Mountains and also in the coastal areas following uh, Hurricane Hugo. This recipient has coached girls' church basketball. He has uh, supported our youth and mission projects and he has helped plan fundraising events. He has served Memorial Church as our lay leader and chairperson of both the Finance Committee and the Administrative Board, along with other leadership responsibilities. He still serves as a Sunday school teacher for many classes. Now, should you think that this person is all about seriousness. Believe me when I tell you it took real persuasion by Sue Strait to convince this man to be transformed into Tammy Wynette and then sing, It's Hard to Be a Woman. <laughs> now with great joy. I ask our Ralph Johnson if he will come and receive his pen.
I invite you to join in the prayer of confession that is printed there in your bulletin. Let us pray. We confess to you, all-knowing God, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. But we cannot hide our true selves from you. You know us as we are, and yet you love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to respect ourselves for your sake. Give us courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask you to break their bondage and set them free. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Lord, we are thankful for this good season of Lent that we might examine our hearts and draw close to you. The first thing we notice is that we've all got a long way to go. And so we're grateful for your patience in leading us and dealing with us. We're especially grateful that you look for opportunities to come to us with your strength, your power, and grace to enable us to grow into the likeness of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd and that you lead us to places of rest and nourishment, our green pastures, and you lead us also out into places where we can be of service in the world. And we are grateful both for the rest we find in you and for the guidance we have to be at work in the world. We know that Jesus said that he worked hard every day as long as it was light and he was aware that night was coming, not just the night of the day, but the end of his life when all work would cease for his earthly time. Cause us, Lord, to remember that, that while it is light, while it is day, that we might be those who are working hard on your kingdom. And when night comes and the shadows fall heavy upon us, Lord, give us your grace to trust that you will be there with us to carry us from this life into eternity. We, are, we trust in you and your goodness and in your power and love. We remember our friends who are not able to be here today because of difficulties in their lives, for those who are sick or injured, for those that are grieving and mourning this day. We give them to you and ask your touch of grace and healing to be upon them. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Let me add my words of congratulations to Catherine and surprise to Ralph. Um, Ralph always heard that behind every successful man was a proud mother and a surprised wife, so I don't know whether that's true, but congratulations to you both, and uh, thank you for many, many years of service to the church, to the Methodist Church in general, and to us here at Memorial, and for your continued work, and uh, you spur us all on to keep on going, and we appreciate that. Your example is, is certainly a blessed thing to all of us, and we thank you for that. My uh, sermon title this week would make Johnny Cochran proud, alleviated, interrogated, and then excommunicated. I worked hard to make those rhyme. I hope you appreciate that. I'm not going to read the entire passage because it is very, very lengthy. It's a, it's a familiar passage, and I'm going to retell a lot of it in the sermon, so in the interest of uh, time, I'll just give you a, a very brief uh, beginning and end of this story from John chapter 9. <clears throat> begins with Jesus uh, going along a road. He said, it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The story continues. He's interrogated by the authorities and eventually kicked out of his church. And it ends with these words. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man said. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment have I come into the world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and said, Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Here ends the lesson. It was a common sight in downtown Spartanburg when I was a child and would go there with, with my parents or grandparents that you would see many people gathered there with various uh, disabilities. Some of them were missing arms or legs and would be sitting there or moving from one place to the other using kind of these scooters with uh, skates on the bottom of them. Of course, they were begging for money and whatever else they could uh, get to live on. Some of them were totally blind. Some had always been blind from the very 
moment of their births. And they really had no other way to survive other than begging. The gospel story today reminded me of that scene from my childhood because it tells us about a man who had been blind all of his life. This was supposed to be like every other day in the life of this blind man. A friend would take him to the center of the village where he would talk with people and beg for coins. But this day turned out not to be like every other day. Now imagine how it must have been from his perspective. He was just sitting there, minding his own business, when a stranger walked over to him and spit on the ground right in front of him. A little five-year-old girl in Sunday school heard about this and said when she heard that Jesus had spit on the ground, I didn't think that was very nice. But Jesus was making mud in that manner. And soon the blind man had mud placed in his eyes by this stranger who told, them, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. There's a touch of irony and humor in the fact that that's where Jesus sent him because the pool's name means the scent pool. There were other places Jesus could have sent him, but he sent him to the, to the scent pool. With the help of his friends, the blind man made his way to that pool so that he could wash the mud out of his eyes. As the water rinsed his eyes, the man found that he could see for the first time in his life. Now we're not told about the joyous reaction to recovered sight that must have occurred there at that pool. We can imagine that there were tears, laughter, joy, praise given to God. But the story doesn't pick back up until the man had calmed back down and had returned to his neighborhood, to his family. Apparently, he had decided to keep a very low profile to see what would happen. His neighbors weren't sure that this was the same man that had lived there before who had been blind. Or maybe he was just someone that looked like the other man. But his very interesting day continued his blindness had been alleviated. He was about to become interrogated. And before the day was over, he would be excommunicated from his faith community. Quite a day in the life of a man who began the day blind and ended the day looking into the face of the Son of God. Now we're told that this healing happened as Jesus went along. Jesus had a plan, and he was following that plan. He was traveling around from one place to the other, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he was proceeding with his plans. And as he was going, he came upon the blind man. Isn't that really the way life is? We make our plans, but then unexpected things occur which can alter our plans. Some wonderful moments can happen in your family life with your children as a result of much advanced planning. But some of the most wonderful, best moments will happen spontaneously as you're going about other things. The best conversation I ever had with my son and daughter about race relations did not occur as a result of the planned Black History Month but it followed some pushing and shoving in the line at school as students waited for their parents to come pick them up. It turned into a racial 
skirmish. Some of our most meaningful family conversations have occurred on long hikes, not when we set aside a special family time and said, let's talk about something. It just happened spontaneously. As we structure our lives as we must, and as our church carefully plans our ministries in the community, we need to be constantly aware that some unexpected opportunities for ministry and nurture might come along as well. Jesus was always looking for opportunities, for openings into people's lives, and we should be doing the same. Another interesting point of this story is that Jesus took the initiative. As far as we can tell, this man did not cry out to Jesus for help. Jesus made the first move. And whether or not you realize it, God took the first step toward you, even before you were aware that you needed to move in his direction at all. We often say, I found God. Well, guess what? God wasn't lost. You were. God found you. We say, I accepted Christ. Again, the important thing is, Jesus first accepted you. As far as we can tell in this story, this man did not ask for help, nor did he show any faith except that he obeyed and did what Jesus told him to do, go wash his face. In this story, Jesus was the one with the faith. And when you and I have a need, it is good for us to know that Jesus comes to us and goes with us before the Father with his faith leading the way. The disciples were the one that uh, set the wheels in motion for this healing that day when they inquired as to the cause of this man's afflictions. Was he born blind as a result of someone's sin, they asked? Did his parents' sin bring this upon him, or was it his own sin? Isn't that interesting, and isn't that the way it is? We humans won't understand exactly why something happens. We feel that if we can understand the cause of the effect, then we'll have some control as we attempt to avoid bad things. A sense of guilt usually comes over us when something bad happens to us as we wonder if we did something to deserve this. Now to be sure, we do bring enough troubles upon ourselves by our mistakes, but that does not mean that every trouble that comes your way is the result of sin. Sometimes people react to us like the disciples reacted to the blind man. They act toward us as if they're thinking, surely there's something that you did that caused this trouble to land on your doorstep. Those who think this way have an excuse to do nothing to help you. After all, if you're only getting what you deserve, why should they help? Westboro Baptist Church of Topeka, Kansas, believes that the death of every American soldier is an act of God, punishing our country for our tolerance of same-gender relationships. They show up at a soldier's funeral with signs that say God hates America. To them, there is a direct cause-effect relationship between our actions and punishment. I wonder what they believe about all the American soldiers who died during World Wars I and II, or during the Revolutionary War for that matter, at times when our American values 
more closely resembled their church's values. They are too blind to see it, but their simplistic assessment of why people suffer is not supported in the Bible or by the teachings of Jesus. Perhaps this more than any other reason was why Jesus stopped and responded to the man. The teacher saw the need to teach the disciples and us to give us a different frame of reference for examining troubles. Reframing is a a term in psychology that is gaining more and more popularity and it simply means to view some situation in a different context to change the way you look at something. By changing your context, you can change your understanding and your feelings about those things as well as your behavior. Let me give you an obvious example of reframing. In 1492, everybody was afraid to go out far sailing out into the Atlantic Ocean because everybody knew that the world was flat and if you kept going, you'd sail right off the edge of the of the planet to your death. But Columbus came to believe that the world was round and that if you kept on sailing, you'd eventually get back to where you started. His belief eliminated all the fear that he felt and it led to the discovery of the Americas. He reframed the worldview of everybody in Europe after he first changed his frame of reference. Jesus was constantly reframing people's situation. Prodigal sons were not hated by God and excommunicated. They were loved by God and welcome to come back home at any time. Sinners could be forgiven by God. You were blessed if you were meek, poor, merciful, or persecuted. People saw themselves in a new reality after they met Jesus. He was constantly reframing their existence. In the case of the blind man, Jesus reframed reframed the cause of the blind man's blindness. It wasn't a result of sin. It was an opportunity for God. The next time you have a trouble come upon you, remember that Jesus said that it is not the result of sin but rather it's just an opportunity for God to do something wonderful for you. Every difficulty is an opportunity for God. What opportunities are happening in your life today? The rest of the story is almost comical if you have a warped sense of humor like I do. The man is at home just enjoying himself and his new sight. He isn't creating a disturbance or calling any attention to himself. It's his nosy neighbors that get involved and create the disturbance. They decide that the religious leaders need to be contacted to investigate this situation. So the Pharisees were brought in to interrogate the man. All he can tell them is that a man named Jesus made mud, put it in his eyes, and sent him to the scent pool to wash, and now he can see. Rather than share this man's joy, they're upset that the healing occurred on the Sabbath day and they pronounce their judgment. Never mind that Jesus just did something that had never ever been done before. He can't be from God because he didn't observe their Sabbath 
rules. Utterly amazing. They ask the man to tell them again about the healing which he does, and this time the Pharisees decided that it's a ruse, that he, he couldn't have been blind. He's a fraud. And so they summoned the man's parents, who were unwilling witnesses in the court of public opinion, because they had already been told that if they had a favorable opinion about Jesus, they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. That's our son, and he was born blind, they answered. That much we know, but we don't know how he gained his sight. He's a grown man, ask him. Such brave parents. The Pharisees next try to get the man to change his story. Agree with us that Jesus is a sinner. He can't be anything other than a sinner. Now we see the beginning of sarcasm rising up in this formerly blind man. He says, I don't know about this saint and sinner stuff. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Maybe you're making all this fuss over me because secretly you would like to be disciples of Jesus. Oh, that really got them mad. Angrily they responded, we are Moses' disciples because we're sure Moses came from God. We have no idea where this fellow Jesus came from. Apparently there were some birthers back in Jesus' day too. <coughs> Knowing that all was lost and he was about to lose his pew at church, the ex-blind man threw caution to the wind and made one final sarcastic comment. You don't know where he comes from, but he cured my blindness. Nobody's ever done this before, but you don't know where he comes from. He had to come from God. This ex-blind man has just talked himself into believing that Jesus was the Christ, and who knows how many others he had convinced. But his new insight caused him to receive what is known as the left foot of fellowship. He was kicked out of his church. Well, Jesus had remained close by, but out of sight, so that he might see things develop without interference. But when he heard that the man had been kicked out of his church, excommunicated, Jesus sought him out. And the exchange between the two of them is also fascinating. The healed man indicated that he had never actually seen his healer, but he would like to now. Jesus responded that he really had already seen him, maybe not with his physical eyes, but with his spiritual ones, his insight. He already believed that Christ was the Son of God. And then Jesus said, and you're talking with the person that healed you right now. Then Jesus added, this is why I came into the world, to give insight to those who are aware of their spiritual blindness and to make blind those self-righteous people who think they know everything already, who think they already see clearly. This reference is not lost on the Pharisees, and they were offended once again. Are you calling us blind, they asked, but they had missed the point. If they had truly been blind, then there would have been hope for them. But since they thought that they could see, and since they thought that they alone had a corner on all wisdom and insight, and since they thought that salvation depended on their works of the law, their guilt remained upon them. I'm sure that there are some here today who are experiencing some troubles that you believe 
came upon you as punishment from God. I invite you to reframe your troubles, to see them not as punishments, but as opportunities where God will act in your life. I invite those of you who know that you're blind to receive insight healing from Jesus this day. And may God help us all from becoming so rigid in our beliefs that there's no room for God to surprise us occasionally. May we be willing to become spiritually blind so that we can receive new insight. Amen. Thank you.